Today, we're in the second of a three-week series called My Big Fat Mouth. Just to make sure you're included, it's your big fat mouth too, okay? So, um, this is the second time we've done this series since January of 2019. And if you're wondering why, when there are only 52 opportunities a year to proclaim God's Word on the weekends, would we have two series called My Big Fat Mouth in three years? I was sort of wondering that question myself as I was preparing this message, and the short answer is this. Jesus said, for out of the abundance or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we say lets people have a look inside of us and to see where our hearts are when it comes to the reality of who we really are. Pastor Barry last week reminded us that it's natural to lie, it's natural to compare ourselves to each other, and as I was thinking about that, I remembered what it was like to be a five-year-old, and I had a little brother named Ken who was three years old, and when something went wrong in the household, something got broken, something was missing or something like that, my mother would say, who did it? And immediately, I would point at Ken, Ken would point at me, and we would say, he did. So obviously, 50% of us were lying at any given time, or... We were both telling the truth because we did both break it. Anyway, God created us in his image, right? So that means that out of our mouth should come words of love and care and concern and hope and life. But the reality is our original ancestors and everyone since our original ancestors have rejected God's original image and we've sort of struggled to reflect that image ever since. We are what the Bible calls fallen Now, that doesn't mean we're as terrible as we could be all the time, but what it really means is we will never be as good as God created us to be until Jesus Christ comes into our lives. When I was a little kid, it was into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Remember? That was what we said. We want Jesus in here, so what will come out will be what Jesus would say or do. So if Jesus isn't in charge, or if Jesus is in charge, when we open our big fat mouths, the world will see, because they will see what comes out. This series is worth repeating because it reminds us that what we say and what we do reflects who we are. What we say and what we do reflects who we are. So when Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the, or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, he was talking to a group of religious leaders. They were called the Pharisees, and they were some of the most respected people in all of Israel. And as he was speaking, he actually had had a little bit of background experience with them before he said these words. The first thing that happened was the religious leaders said that Jesus, who they saw cast a demon out of a man, was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul or, or the devil. Now, if you think that Jesus is meek and mild, you probably have never read the four Gospels, accounts of which his life is based. And what Jesus did, first off, was he he attacked the logic of the Pharisees. He said, wait a minute, if a kingdom or a house is divided against itself, it's going to fall down. And then Jesus said, you know what, if you're not with me, you're against me. And then Jesus said, you're a brood of vipers, snakes. And then he said this, how can you speak good when you are evil? Now that's the context out of which Jesus said to them, out of the abundance or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do our mouths tell others about our hearts? It's a very serious question. We're going to put it up on the screen so you can think about it for a minute, so I can think about it. What do do our mouths 
tell others about our hearts. When, when we lie, we tell others that we're dishonest. You know, Mark Twain is credited with this statement. He said, there are no degrees of honesty. Either you are honest or you are, or you are not. And by that standard, we all fall short. And really, that's the reason Jesus came, is because we all fall short, not only in that area, but in every area. And Jesus is the only one who, when he opened his mouth, truth always came out. He didn't compare himself to anybody else. He didn't gossip about other people. He didn't complain about life. Everything that came out of Jesus' mouth came out of that pure heart, because he was and is the son of the living God. But let's get back to your big fat mouth and my big fat mouth right now. Pastor Barry helped us to see why lying and comparing lead to division and disunity in our lives. He said the solution is very radical. In fact, we must live in holiness, holiness based on the Holy Spirit's presence. What he said was, so it doesn't matter what ethnicity we are, our heritage, or our social status, because Jesus in us makes the difference. Regardless of our origins, Paul held holiness to be a primary marker of a relationship fueled by the Holy Spirit. Holiness isn't a word we like much today, as culturally we believe what's right for you is right for you, and holiness makes some pretty exclusive claims on how to live our lives. But Paul says, as believers, definitive life changes result. So I underline three points of Pastor Barry's comments about how this life transformation process happens. Number one, Jesus in us makes the difference. Number two, holiness is a primary marker of a relationship fueled by the Holy Spirit. And three, definitive life change is the result. So it starts with Jesus, who the Bible calls Savior, which means rescuer from sin and death, and Lord, which means master or owner, it starts when he comes in and takes over our hearts. And then Jesus said that we must be born again, and he said it's a spiritual birth, so when he comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and the Holy Spirit starts to fuel our lives and turn them into lives of holiness. And finally, what we find is those life changes that we need take place. So we are going to talk about gossip today. But before we talked about gossip, I wanted to give us a little bit of context for how important it is that we consider anything that comes out of our mouths. You know, I've often quoted G.K. Chesterton's famous quote that the Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Well, having lived for, for Jesus for the last 52 years now, I want to make an additional comment about that comment. And here it is. Living the Christian life is no harder than living a sinful life in the long run. Living the Christian life is no harder than living a sinful life in the long run. And the key words there are the last four, in the long run. You see, mostly we don't think about the long run. We live in an instant culture, and so we just think about here and now. We don't think about the long run. When we're young, we think it's harder to tell the truth than it is to tell a little lie so we can move on to something else. We think it's easier to compare ourselves with somebody else so we feel good rather than to, to actually take a, a sane estimate of our own worth. We think it's easier to make an excuse than it is to make an effort. But following Jesus and living in holiness gets easier over time while the consequences of sin get harder and harder. Let me say that again. Following Jesus and living in holiness gets easier over time while the consequences of sin get harder and harder. See, the devil lies to us by his nature, which is evil. And Jesus tells us the truth by his nature, which is holy. And over time, if we continue to listen to the lies of the devil, it seems to be easier 
but actually our lives get harder and more challenging because the rewards of sin are on the front end. Think about it. When we lie, we don't experience the short-term pain that comes when somebody says, how do I look? And we don't really want to answer that question. So we, we, we lie instead of gaining the long-term blessing of becoming people of honesty and character. We, we look at somebody and we compare them so that we feel better about ourselves. That's easy in the short run instead of building each other up. What we do over time is we, we want to tell people about this juicy bit of gossip we heard because, again, it'll make us feel better or it'll push, push those people down and maybe they need to be put in their place anyway rather than understanding that every single one of us is part of the body of Jesus Christ or potentially a, a brother or sister in the Lord who we're supposed to build up to bring God glory and honor. So the reason the Christian life has so infrequently been tried is it takes so much time and effort to grow holy. But we've been told it just happens or it's never going to happen. Now think about that. You might have been told at some point, if you just trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, everything's going to change. You're going to be wonderful. Life's going to be good. You're going to have more money than you ever had. This is, this is what you need to do. Put Jesus in charge of your life and boom, everything's good. That's not true. You see, in the moment that we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, momentarily, everything does change in this regard. Our salvation meaning being saved from sin and death, it happens in that instant. And we are ever, forever different. We, we were destined for hell, now we're going to be destined for heaven. But we've been told that really you just need to leave it up to the Holy Spirit and he'll change us. And, and we do need to let the Holy Spirit lead in our lives. But the Apostle Paul understood something very important, that the Holy Spirit does do his part but we have a part to play. It's one of my favorite verses and a half of Scripture. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 12b and 13, which reads, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, we must work out and on our salvation. As I already said, Jesus died on the cross. He took care of salvation. But we have a part to play in growing up to be like Jesus. It's not just Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit comes in, and boom, we're perfect. What, what Paul said is, we need to do what we can do, and the Holy Spirit is working in us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. What is God's good pleasure? His pleasure is that our hearts would be like Jesus' heart, and that out of those kind of hearts, when we open up our mouths, the words we say will make blessing come to others, will make a difference and encouragement of others, which will make truth be the way that people know us, that we are truthful people. Now, the thing is, God does his supernatural part, and we do our part, but we don't try to do our part. We must train. The difference between trying and training is all the difference in the world. Training is any intentional effort that we exert over time that allows us to do something in the future that we can't do right now. Both telling the truth and running a marathon require training not trying. Both are possible, actually. You can actually run a marathon, and you can actually tell the truth, and so can I over time. We might not be able to do either today, but with training, we can do both. If Jesus believed that we couldn't pray, that we couldn't fast, that we couldn't give, that we couldn't tell the truth, that we couldn't stop from gospel, if, we, if he believed we couldn't do any of those things, then he wouldn't have told us that we could. You see, the Christian life is not impossible on the one hand, but neither is it magic. 
It's a supernatural process that takes place over the course of our lives when we participate in God's will for us in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me share something that comes with 52 years of following Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is an all-in endeavor. Becoming like Jesus requires an all-in endeavor. Someday you're going to be 64 unless you've already passed that mark. But if you are 14 or 24 or 34, 44 or 54, or any number before 64, I want to tell you a truth that's very, very crucial for you to hear. And here it is. One day, you're going to look back on your life and you will either be filled with gratitude or regret. Someday, you're going to be 85 or 90 years old sitting in your rocking chair looking back on your life. And when you do that, your heart is going to be filled with gratitude if you have followed Jesus, if you have trusted Him and let Him change you over time, or you're going to just be filled with regret after regret after regret. That is the truth. Now, I wish I could tell you that all 52 years I've been following Jesus, I've been all in. But I haven't been all in for all 52 years because sometimes it just seemed too hard. Sometimes something the world offered was just more interesting in the moment than Jesus was. Sometimes I was just lazy. But I have some really good news if that's been your case. Here it is. Jesus has given me a second chance thousands and thousands of times. Now here's the thing. Each and every one of us right now is starting to reap the benefits and the consequences, or I should say, you know, the, the income or, or, or the, the blessing of every expenditure, every investment of our time, our talents, our treasure, and touch. Right now, it's happening in your life. It's happening in my life. And I, I want you to know that after 52 years of investing my time, talent, treasure, and touch in Jesus, when I open up my mouth, I'm amazed sometimes at what comes out of it in in reflecting the, the, the love of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and really what I've been noticing even more is how many times I open up my mouth and nothing comes out. Because nothing is the right thing to say in many situations, right? Now, again, I wish I could tell you that was always the case, that this heart is so filled with Jesus that when I open it up, nothing ever comes out but Jesus. But if I were to tell you, for example, that I never lie, that would be a lie. We all have room for growth, but that's the point. We are in this process lifelong of growing to be closer and closer to Jesus. So now we are going to look at that part of what comes out of our mouths when we, you know, we hear something about someone that either makes us feel good about ourselves or gives us ammunition to put that person in their place because she needs it. And it's called gossip. So here's today's take-home point. Again, if you're new, the take-home point is the one point we're going to make from the Scripture that we want to take home, think about it, pray about it, and live out in the week ahead. Here it is. Gossip betrays trust, and it hurts everyone involved. So let's make one thing clear about gossip. We live in a world today where it's easier to gossip than it's ever been. What do I mean by that? Well, let's say I did something gossip-worthy right now. What would you do? You would reach in your purse, reach in your pocket, pull out your phone, you would take a video of it, and then you would just click share, and you can share it with everybody in the world. Now, when I was 15, if I saw something gossip-worthy, I had to go find an actual human being <laughs> and tell them what had just happened. Or I had to go home to my house where my phone was hanging on the wall 
And I had to pick it up and dial. That's where the word dial comes from, everybody. You actually had a thing. You, you, you would t- turn the number and it would go back, you know, and like 999, that's a long phone number. It takes you forever to dial that number. It was very different. So what would happen between the time I saw something gossip-worthy and I actually gossiped was I had a lot of time to think. Today we don't. Today we see something gossip-worthy, we just gossip. We don't even have to take a moment to think about it. You know, everyone gets hurt when we gossip. That's what we're going to talk about from King Solomon. We're going to look at King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus. And from the Proverbs, we're going to look at three passages that show us that not just the person we gossip about gets hurt, but the person we gossip to gets hurt, and we, the gossiper, get hurt. Before we turn to the Scripture, let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are busy working in our hearts when Jesus is Savior and Lord, and that our hearts are being transformed from your glory into another kind of glory that we will participate in. God, we thank you that we don't have to be liars. We don't have to be gossips. We don't have to be complainers. But we get to speak your truth in love when your Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and we're practicing the faith every day. And God, that's what we pray for today as we read your word, that you'll give us some some truth that we can apply so that we can live more faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. So, gossip hurts the person we gossip about. I'm going to point to this person over here. I'm going to talk about her. And uh, so what King Solomon says is this. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Gossip ruins relationships. You know why? Because it breaks trust. Friends tell each other things that are important to each other because they trust each other. Closer the, the closer the friendship, the more intimate the inter- information is, and the more deeply trust is broken whenever gossip happens. And so the person who we gossip about is hurt. But secondly, the person that the second person gossip hurts is the listener, the one that you tell the gossip to. So what King Solomon said is wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay close attention to slander. So what we permit, we promote in our lives. What I'm saying is when we permit somebody to gossip to us, we're promoting death of a relationship. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but you have these two people who either are friends or could be friends And that relationship is dying because the person who is gossiping is breaking trust, which breaks a relationship, which brings the death of a relationship. And finally, the third person that gossip hurts is the speaker. King Solomon said, when arguing with your neighbor, don't betray another person's secret. Others may accuse you of gossip and you will never regain your good reputation. So when we share gossip, what we're doing is we're damaging our own reputation. People will start to consider us a gossip. Now, I probably shouldn't say this, and I haven't said it in any of the other services, but if I want some people to know something, all I have to do is tell a certain person. You know what I'm saying? And then everybody will know it. Because I know what that person's nature is. And and that's what we do when we gossip. We hurt ourselves by no longer do people think of us as one who's trustworthy. No longer do they think of us as someone that we can confide a a secret with because we know that when we do that, it's going to go somewhere else. So after sharing those three things, I have some really good news from a practical standpoint. And here it is. Gossip is one of the easiest practices to stop. All we have to do is remember the statement that Jesus said sums up the whole Old Testament. Here it is. Do to others 
whatever you would like them to do to you. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. Before you tell someone or show someone something about somebody else, ask this question. Would I want that person to say the same thing, to share that information about me with others? And if the answer is no, and it will be when it comes to gossip, then we should just take the old Nike commercials and turn those commercials on their head and say, just don't do it. Right? Just don't do it. The other side of gossip, though, is when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, did you hear about Joe? And the first thing when you hear that is, Your ears perk up, not because you're going to get some juicy tidbit of gossip, but because you don't want to. And so you say, wait a minute, is this good? Is this a good thing about Joe? And they go, well, not really. And you say, well, would Joe want you to tell me this information? And they say, well, not really. And then then you say, well, then I don't really want to hear it. Or maybe they say, well, yeah, Joe's the one who told me. Then you ask this question. Okay, so Joe told you. Well, do you think Joe wants me to know about it? If the answer is no, once again, you say, no, I really don't want to hear it. And, and the person starts to understand, oh, okay, this is not a person that I'm going to bring my stories to because they don't really want to hear gossip from anyone. And one more thing when we're talking about this whole thing, when somebody brings it to you, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I have a prayer request for, for Joe. Now, if the prayer request involves sin in Joe's life, or a secret in Joe's life, it's not a prayer request, it's gossip. Because here's the thing about a prayer request, it's actually going to help the person. It's actually going to be something that's good for the person. And so don't, don't masquerade and call something a prayer request when it's just gossip. Now remember what is the goal when we open our mouths. It's to reflect our heart. And what kind of heart? The heart that's reflecting the goodness of God in our lives. That doesn't mean that we're never going to talk about anything but Jesus. I know some people, you know, you've been hearing what I've said so far. And you're like, whoa, what, are you just going to talk about Jesus? No, how about the Steelers don't have Ben Roethlisberger today? You know, I mean, I know we're playing a team that's 0-8, but seriously? You think we can beat anybody without Ben? I'm not sure. You see, I just talked for 35 seconds about something other than Jesus. You can talk about a lot of things that aren't Jesus, Right? But the other thing is you say, well, if I, if I start doing that, people are going to think about me as religious. No, 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 no. Remember who the religious people were in Jesus' day? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people that Jesus called snakes. Religious means maybe that I want people to think that I'm righteous, but I really maybe I'm not. Or, or maybe it's just that a religious person practices these rituals for the sake of the rituals or to show, a, 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 you know, a presence of God in our lives. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is reflecting the goodness of God in our lives. And you've heard me say this many times. In fact, I bet you you can finish this statement. Sin is fun until it isn't. Sin is fun until it isn't. You know, gossiping is fun until it isn't. Telling a lie is fun until it isn't. Comparing ourselves to others is fun until it isn't. And so when we open our big fat mouths and out comes a lie or out comes a bit of gossip or out comes a comparison or whatever it is, I want you to remember to do something. Repent. Now, I have used the word repent, and it's a legitimate use of the word repent many times, which means I'm walking towards the darkness, and so I'm in sin, and so repent means to turn around, and it does mean that. But the literal meaning of the word repent, which in Greek is metanoia, means to change one's mind. 
So I want you to think of that thing. The next time that something's ready to come out of your mouth, I want you to change your mind and put in place of your mind, Jesus' mind. Would Jesus say what's about to come out of my mouth? Would Jesus say what's about to come out of my mouth? You know, if I'm going to say something that's going to hurt somebody else, I don't think that would be what will come out of Jesus' mouth. But what about when somebody has hurt you? What would Jesus do in that case? And that's where we're going to close this topic of gossip by looking at what if I've been offended and I know somebody's saying stuff about me, what do I do? And here's what Jesus said. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Notice it says believer. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. What a powerful way to stop gossip. If you've been offended by somebody, Okay, let's see. I'm going to pick on some. Brian. Brian has done something that offends me. You know what doesn't help? If I say, hey, Jerry, you know, Brian did something that, that hurt me really bad. I, I, what do you think I should do? And I start talking with Jerry. Nothing good comes out of that. But if I go to Brian, I say, you know, Brian, you're my brother in the Lord, and we have this issue going on, and we need to work it out. And, and, and I, I remember when I was in seminary, a professor offended me. And you know what I did for nine years? For nine years, I would tell people about what a jerk this professor was. About He wrote a book about evangelism, but he's not, a, you know, he's not really even a man of God because he, he, he offended me. And nine years later, I was at a conference. And at that conference, the Holy Spirit convicted me of something. That for nine years, instead of going to, to him, I had been telling everybody else. So I went up after the thing was over and I said to him, um, I need to ask you to forgive me. He's like, what? I said, I've been holding this grudge against you because you did something against me nine years ago. And he goes, wait a minute, what did I do? And I told him and he said, I had no idea. For nine years, I'd been holding on to something he didn't even know he did. And so he asked forgiveness for what he did. <laughs> And I ask forgiveness for holding on to that. You see, what happened in that moment was not only was our relationship restored, but, you know, Jesus was more real in his life and in my life. And that's the kind of thing that happens when we deal directly with one another and, and when we won't pass the gossip on. So here's today's next step. For those of you who are new, the next step is an action point. What am I going to do this week? Because I heard this message. And here it is. I will honor others by dealing with them directly this week. It's not going to be easy. It really won't be easy. Because it's always easier to just tell that little lie than it is to tell the truth. It's always easier to tell that little story than to keep it to ourselves. It's always easier to sin in the short run. But you know what? This isn't a short run life. We're here for hopefully decades and, and when we're here for decades, we're called to live out our life with one another in a relationship of love with one another through Jesus Christ. And what happens when we open up our mouth and out comes the truth, out comes a word of encouragement, out comes a blessing for someone else. Each one of those is a victory. And every single victory built onto the, built onto the next victory, the next victory, the next victory, you know what that builds? A life like Jesus. And the next time we open up our mouth, out will come something that would come out of Jesus' mouth. And the other person will be blessed, and we will be blessed. And 
The reality is we have broken that cycle where the person we gossip about gets hurt, the person we gossip to gets hurt, and we get hurt. Instead, we are blessing each other, and God is glorified. Amen? All right, so we cannot live with new hearts till our hearts are made new. And if you are here today, and if Jesus Christ is not inside of you, if he is not your Savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death and Lord, here at New Life we say that it's simple, but not easy to have that happen. It's simple as ABC. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we lie. We admit that we gossip. We admit that in our lives we say and do things that don't reflect the God that created us. B, we believe that Jesus is perfect, that he is the son of the living God, that he came to the earth to rescue me and you, that he came to earth to become the Lord, the owner of our lives. And then C, we confess the sins that we admitted to ourselves to God, and then we ask him for the strength to confess to other people that we're under new ownership. That maybe you're known as the biggest gossip in town, but the next time somebody comes to give you that juicy tidbit, you go, no, I don't really want that. And then they say, well, why? You can just simply say, well, you know, Jesus is my Savior and Lord at this point. When you open your mouth, does some pretty yucky stuff come out? And if you were to open your heart, would even yuckier stuff come out? If that's the case, might want to consider asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If this is something that you would like to do, please pray with me right now. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that there is some yucky stuff inside my heart and in my life. I ask, Lord, that you would please come into my life because I believe, I believe that Jesus, that you are my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross to cleanse me of this yuckiness in my life. And I confess that I am a sinner and that my life needs cleaned up. And I confess to everyone that you, Jesus, are my Lord and Savior.